and we needed to gain the buy-in. So we needed to understand fundamentally from their perspective what was in it for them and they needed to understand what was in it for them so that they could support what we were doing. Hello and welcome to Frontier Tech Talks. My name is Asad Rahman. This show gives short, sharp, practical tips on how to go about using new technologies to solve big international development problems, straight from those who've been there and done it. We're part of the Frontier Technologies Hub, piloting cutting-edge tech all over the world for social good. While we typically think of drones as military machines, there's been a spike in interest over the last few years about their potential for social good. In this episode, I'm joined by Daniel Ronin from the British startup UAV Aid. Daniel has developed a drone that can deliver health commodities, take high quality images of flood sites or crops, and take videos to help anti-poaching operations, all on the same day, and all much quicker, cheaper, and with better results than existing methods. In Malawi, Daniel's been working to prove these use cases and get them integrated into how the country operates today. Before we begin though, I just want to say a little bit more about what we do. Funded by the UK Department for International Development, we support teams with ideas for how tech might solve entrenched global challenges. We take an idea and provide some funding and support to try it out in the real world, learning about whether or not it works. Too often, technologies built for low-resource settings get built and tested in the developed world before being shipped over to where they'll actually be used. Today, Daniel will talk about how he worked with local health authorities, doctors and park rangers to bring drones into their work. He talks about how working with them is the only way to make sure drones get embedded into local systems and has lessons for others using the technology for social good. This is a story that started with a vision um, approximately five years ago of embedding UAVs into public services. Um, we achieved it in Malawi this summer, and it was quite a remarkable achievement where we actually embedded the UAVs, which I'll talk about in a minute, into three separate public services on a single day. Now, the overall message that is going to come through today, I think, many, many times is PEP, preparation, engagement, and perseverance. And that's fundamental to everything we've done, and most importantly, to everything we've actually achieved over the summer and in the run-up to the summer. So preparation, engagement, and perseverance. So what we actually did this summer was we took our team and equipment to Malawi for a project for drone testing. The objective was to run a pilot over a course of 10, day, um, 10 days, week, etc., um, where we would evaluate the technology from a technical perspective, but also to embed it and integrate the drone into three different public services. Those public services were healthcare delivery, delivering medicines, anti-poaching, where we were able to use the camera on board the aircraft to um, support protection of the wildlife, and then the third one was mapping for environmental development and environmental monitoring purposes. Now, 
Before I get into the detail, a little bit of background as to why this was significant. Well, the significance comes from the type of technology we were using. Um, it's called the Hansard drone. And briefly put, it's a fixed-wing drone, so it looks like a small aircraft, designed for remote and rural areas. But essentially, it's got two or three key features which differentiate it. The first one is it is a multi-purpose drone. It's designed to do more than one thing, and it's able to switch what it's doing in the field. It doesn't have to come back to the factory. It's reconfigurable in the field, essentially to be able to chop and change what it's doing to support changing local demands and needs. The key capabilities are a parachute cargo delivery of up to 10 kilos on a 300-kilometer round trip, high-definition mapping, both 2D and 3D, and it's also got a built-in camera for live-streaming aerial surveillance. Now, the important, one, of, one of the important bits to note about the drone is that this is the first multi-role drone to receive a certificate of airworthiness for experimental flight from any aviation authority in Europe. So this is different. So we are actually pioneering something right at the front. So what was this important? And the key issue is the fact that we wanted to trial the multi-role element and embedding into multiple services, the significance of that was looking at the multi-role UAV business model. Essentially, in previously and even now, drones that are reliant on a single type of service or single type of functionality, they need to build up enough of a, quote, business case to justify demand within a specific geographical area for that one type of capability or application. What we wanted to prove or pilot was the technology and the applicability for being able to roll, use a multi-role drone, which could effectively cater for multiple markets based out of the same area or drone hub. And so the purpose of that is to increase the economic viability and therefore the long-term sustainability of drone operations operating on a single platform. So it changes the economics and the business case. And therefore the, the, the context, the background for this pilot was looking at the multi-role UAV business model. So what did we do when we wanted to integrate into the medical delivery? The first and most important thing was we need, important thing was we needed to engage the local stakeholders. Now, this was helped by our, uh, the local coordinators, so that was UNICEF, and again, I'd like to put a shout out for UNICEF Malawi to thank them for all of the work they've done with this pilot and this project. So what we did initially was we visited the clinic that was going to be receiving the medical delivery. We needed to understand their needs. We needed to explain the objective of our flights and our plans, and we needed to gain the buy-in. So we needed to understand fundamentally from their perspective what was in it for them, and they needed to understand what was in it for them so that they could support what we were doing. The next series of trips was to the district health leadership. And for that, we, again, we needed to explain the objective and our processes, and we needed to gain the buy-in because we needed their approvals. We needed them to allow us to integrate into their medical supply chain, and we needed them to actually give the approvals and the permission and supply of the actual medicines we were going to deliver. We, key lessons from this were repeated communications to all of the stakeholders, and on the day that we actually were doing the delivery, we made sure that UAV8 staff were at the drop site to not just verify that the delivery was happening, but to also provide some reassurance and comfort that everything was going well, it was safe, 
and it was well monitored. And what we actually achieved was a parachute delivery of medical supplies of over five kilos. We delivered it in, over, in about half an hour to a distance of approximately 40 kilometers range. And that consisted of malaria tablets, oral rehydration salts, and IV fluids. And from our perspective, it was a complete success. Everything worked as expected. Now, what actually happened there was that the delivery we made replaced a supply run by the health clinic to go to the district um, medical center to actually try to collect meds. So we were clearly integrated into their supply chain. The second integration was that for mapping. And again, we engaged the local stakeholders. In this case, it was UNICEF themselves. And we discussed in advance our capability and offered our mapping services. UNICEF gave us a shopping list of the areas they wanted mapped. And that gave us the opportunity to prepare the routes and the technical elements in advance. We built the mapping um, flights into our flight program. And our outcome was we were able to generate 10,000 high resolution images in two hours. That covered a seven by one kilometer square area at a resolution of better than 2.5 centimeters per pixel, high degree of overlap, which was suitable for 3D. And we presented that on a hard drive with all of the data necessary to UNICEF for their use. So again, the key message there is talk to the local stakeholders, find out what they want. Our third integration of public service was that for anti-poaching. The local stakeholders, again, were facilitated by UNICEF, and that included the district officials. We had the wildlife rangers from the nature reserve actually come to visit us at the drone base at the Kasungu um, airport, and they were in contact with their colleagues in the reserve. The intention being to fly the drone, put it in the air, use the camera that's on board to be sending back live streamed video from the camera's perspective back to the base so the rangers were able to not only control the camera using the PlayStation type of controllers, as you can see on the photograph on the left, but then to be able to monitor the streamed video in real time, and then as and when necessary, communicate that to their colleagues who were back in the park as to their findings. Key things, again, very clearly when looking to integrate this was one, explain what will happen, why, when, and understand if there was anything that the rangers needed to do to improve the integration of the capability into their own systems. And we aimed to try to get them hands-on very, very quickly. So they were literally, they turned up and within minutes, they were controlling the camera, controlling it, telling it where they wanted it to go so they could actually get something tactile from it as well. So what were our key conclusions and lessons? Well, we were able to prove that the UAV was able to function and function effectively in a remote area. We were able to prove and demonstrate the multi-role capability and the fact that it could be reconfigured in the field to match the changing local demands and requirements. And we were able to prove the business model, the multi-role UAV business model was technically viable. Our key lessons and recommendations for doing this again, or for others wanting to integrate into other public services, was definitely make sure you engage the local stakeholders as much as possible. Ask for support if you need it, and understand from the local perspective what's in it for them. 
That's absolutely central because that's the only way you're going to get the buy-in. Preparation, engagement, and planning has become certainly the mantra for all of these type of deployments. The development and manufacture of UAVs and then running them in the field are two potentially quite distinct businesses. How do you configure those two quite different things? I think that the key crux of your question is, are there two different parts to the way that we operate the organization? The answer is yes. There is clearly one that's focused on technical development, manufacture, and the potential um, supply of hardware and training. And then the other is on the operations and the delivery of a service. Um, Our focus is on the service, but the only way we can deliver the service is if we're able to make sure that the technical and the technology is right and it works effectively. So what we've deliberately not done is park ourselves in a great big warehouse and lock lock all the doors and develop the technology, hoping that it's going to be useful in the real world. We've come at it from the perspective of what is actually required in the market, i.e. if we were delivering the service, what would we need, and therefore work back from there. And because we are a very focused, if I could say very motivated um, organization, we've been able to reconcile the two. Our preference has always been to deliver the service because there is a, regardless of who you are, there's always a huge issue as to whether uh, various NGOs want to buy assets. And the answer generally has been no. They don't want to buy assets because there's issues to do with maintenance and storage and servicing and training. Um, And so what we've actually learned is that most of the major organizations we talk to, what they're interested in is being able to buy a service, i.e. have someone come out and actually perform the flights and the deliveries themselves. And so everything we've done has been led by that. The the note that, that I would attach to that, though, is that there are... Um, organizations which uh, we are in discussions with who have said no 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 we actually want to buy the kit and the training will you supply it and the answer to the question is yes but we have to make sure that your systems procedures pilots certifications everything 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 is up to scratch and we would need to be auditing that because there is an issue of safety we're dealing with Um, a platform that has been granted a a certificate of airworthiness for experimental flight, and that is not something we would ever want to endanger or jeopardize. So at all times, it's safety, safety, safety. And the best way to do that is either we operate it or the people that wish to buy the kit um, operate it using the same procedures and standards that we would. How would you look to ensure this model could endure over a longer period? The the principles around for an extended program are exactly the same. It's about preparation, it's about engagement, and it's about planning. We, again, would need to make sure that we talk to the local stakeholders, find out what the actual requirements are, go and visit them, go and talk to them. Um, If it's for a longer period, nothing changes. We just frame it differently during those discussions. So in truth, I don't see much difference between a short and long-term program except that the local stakeholders might have slightly different issues, which again, you would need to address during those discussions and then be flexible. Make sure that what you're doing is not only working for you, but working for them as well. What does a longer term operation look like in detail? Do you think the ops, service delivery and maintenance could be conducted by a local organization? 
Um, it's, it's a very, very good question. It actually comes back um, and it reflects this issue of do we see ourselves as a manufacturer or a service provider? Um, the way I would, I would answer it in the same way that I'd be asked as to whether airlines use local staff or not. If you're British Airways, for example, you'll yeah. use pilots mostly from your home country, the UK. If you're Emirates, you then take pilots from um, a, a global community, so to speak. And it very much reflects the way that I think that the way that these type of UAVs will need to evolve. There will be some cases where it would be impractical um, to take fully trained UAV pilots because they just don't exist in these countries and the training program would be quite extensive and quite long. So it becomes impractical to do it and therefore you'd need to bring people mm. in from the side. However, there are other cases where we can say, no, we, there, is, um, there is a pool of expertise within the country or accessible within the country, which we could tweak with additional training um, for local for familiarization of our platform and then be able to transition from our own staff to local staff. And so I think the answer to the question is it depends and it depends on the scale and level of expertise that's available locally um, and then how we actually make that transition. Now, I talk about pilots because obviously that's the, the, the most difficult task, but there are, of any deployment, there are a number of people that need to be involved. And as we start to embed for longer periods of time with the sustained operations, more and more of our staffing within any deployment can actually shift from expertise we have to bring in to local expertise. And part of, for example, that process over, over a long period is you have people that start with just general familiarization, helping out with the day-to-day -day operations, moving the aircraft onto the runway, keeping the runway clear, security, safety procedures. And then as they become more comfortable with the aircraft, we can then upskill them and then effectively put them on a training program where they gain the skills would, which potentially ultimately would leave, lead up to pilot. But there is a lot of work that needs to be done on the, of all the tiers just below actually flying the aircraft. So it's very much a case of it depends. The ultimate goal is for um, this type of technology to be deployable in a multitude of different contexts with uh, you know, one, one model is to have local enterprises set up using this. But again, you have to be very, very careful that because these are aircraft, they are very highly regulated. And if they're highly regulated, it means that you have to make sure that all of your systems and procedures um, and permissions are in, are in line. Um, and so that does add an additional layer of complexity, which you wouldn't have if you were saying, well, can someone set up a local delivery service on a motorbike? It's not the same. How did you ensure connectivity? What kind of tech did you use? And this actually comes in two parts. The first one is connectivity for us as a deployment team. And the second is connectivity for the technology itself. Now, for connectivity for the deployment team, we were able, at where we were, we had cell phone coverage. We had, for, I'll say 4G, but it wasn't very good 4G. But we did have some form of um, uh, cell phone connectivity there. We also 
also had satellite backup. And so what that meant was that we were able to make sure that we could interact and engage with our offsite technical support who were back at base so that as any issues did come up, any technical issues came up, we could have not only our field team dealing with them, but also the team back in the factory to actually take a look at this. And we found that we were able to actually send back telemetry data for um, analysis, post-flight analysis, which is what all the other major aircraft manufacturers are doing as well. Now, the second element is connectivity between the base and the drone itself. And for this, we use some, uh, we actually use a multi-layered uh, communications capability to ensure that we maintain 3C command uh, and control communication at all times. The first one is we have on board a short, way, short range radio. We then have in addition to that, a long range radio. And in addition to that, we also have satellite communications built in. So depending on how far away we are from the base, how, sorry, how far away the drone is from the base, and depending on local weather conditions, depending on whether there are any mountains in the way, whether we've actually got line of sight radio communication capability or not, what we do is we actually fold over effectively on an escalating ladder which of the communications platforms we're using. We start off with the short range, when, as we're about to move out of that, we then move over into the long range radio. When we're about to lose that, then we move over onto the um, satellite communication. And what we found is, was that the, the satellite effectively completely decouples us from any local um, topographic or uh, geographical constraints. And we actually found in practice, it was extremely reliable, expensive, but very, very reliable. And so that provides us with the connectivity we need to the aircraft. What concerns did stakeholders express when you engaged them? What were some of their biggest concerns? I'll give you an example. When we were talking to Elizabeth at the clinic, her biggest issues were, I, don't get, I can't ensure that I get the materials I need, the supplies I need. This is what I actually need today. And she opened up the box and she showed us she needed malaria, she needed this, she needed that. When we were talking to the district health officer and the hospital store area, their issues were to do with what, how are we going to balance what we have with the needs of the entire district? And the very different types of questions, very different types of constraints. And so needing to understand what the issues are from the, their perspective actually shifts your approach. And as long as you listen to people, and as long as you take into account and consider their needs and requirements, then it, it's just a case of working with them in partnership. That was me speaking with Daniel Ronin from UAV Aid talking about how to integrate drones for social good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Frontier Tech Talks. To find out more about this work and the wider program, please find our Medium publication by Googling Frontier Technologies Hub or reading the show notes. Funded by the UK Department for International Development, we pilot cutting-edge tech all over the world for social good. This episode is part of a six-part series that gives short, sharp, practical tips on how to go about using new technologies to solve big international development problems. 
straight from those who've been there and done it. 